call Steve Witherup? I don't see a Steve Witherup in your contacts. Who would you like to call? Call Steve Witherup. I don't see a Steve Weather in your contacts. Who would you like to call? Call Steve Witherup. So I listened to last week's okay. recording, uh -huh. and um, and I realized that you recorded the call to me and my answering it, and so I spent all morning trying to come up with a cool way to answer the phone. <laughs> well, what you didn't hear was me telling Siri to call you four different times because she just, uh, I guess, decided your name doesn't exist in my phone or something. Yeah, it's probably because it's under some, you know, call the bearded idiot. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I that's right. I change it. I change it every week. Um, right. Yeah, that was irritating. Um, well, I uh, we're on a little bit of a time crunch, and so I figure let's read the text and uh, and then just get into it. Cool. All right. Is there a an app that has someone like James Earl Jones reading the text? Uh, that would be a lot better than this. Um, There's a lot of verses again. It, do you want? Because uh, we're going through going through forty five. Do you want me to read the first twenty and you read the last twenty five? Let's just do. Every other. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I'm assuming you mean every every other word? Yeah, right. <laughs> er, yeah, um, sure, that's fine. Okay, I'll go to 20, you go to 25. All or right. you do the last 25. Sure. John chapter 11, uh, 1 through 45. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message, a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night there's danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you'll really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I always, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived, they saw Jesus and saw Jesus. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he had been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of those, of these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. That's, that's a lot of verses, but I really, uh, I really love that story. I, one of my favorite parts about it is it feels like, I don't know if it feels like this to you, but does it feel like there's unnecessary, like an unnecessary amount of details given to it? Yeah, I guess there's a lot. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that, but there's, we get a lot more, you know, just, well, John tends to do that. I mean, a little bit like with whether it's the encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well or, or this story. I mean, I guess we tend to get a little bit more sometimes, um, which I guess should really, you know, there's a lot to pay attention to, I guess, in this story. Yeah. And it's not, 
I'm sort of making fun of it or making light of it, but it's it's obviously not the case. Everything that's in there is intentional, but it's almost like somebody that doesn't know how to tell a story with a punchline. Although this one has a great one, but it's just like it keeps going. It's like he was here, like somebody's telling a story. Like we went to the grocery store first, and they didn't have what I was looking. And it's like all of these details mean nothing. Like uh, it's like G- Jesus was in this other town and. He didn't want to go at first, but then for, and there's just so many details a part of this. Yeah. My favorite is, uh, at the end when he prays and Jesus says out loud, God, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. <laughs> I said, I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> it's like, obviously people point to the, the Jesus wept part of this as like the, the humanity of Jesus in the passage. But I, like this text is packed with Jesus showing like real humanity to me and whether it's his anger, his frustration, like exasperated. All right. I'm saying it for the sake of all these people that are around that can't, you know, that are irritating me. Uh, it feels like a very, a, a human moment, I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, I was reading, uh, an essay on this text this week and, um, the way she put it, I thought was really good because she, you know, because there is, there's so much to this story that is actually, it's hard because, and there's so much that we, in a sense, don't want to be a part of the story. Cause like she said, I don't understand why, um, you know, Jesus delays when he first receives the word, you know, she doesn't understand why he allows his friends to suffer for the sake of in quote, God's glory. Right. Um, I don't understand why he tells the disciples that Lazarus is asleep and then later has to clarify by saying he's dead. You know, I don't, she doesn't understand why he sidesteps Martha's tortured accusation. He doesn't even respond when they say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, you know, and then she said that she doesn't understand. So why does Jesus raise this one man leaving countless others in their graves? And so like, there's so much to not understand but what she said was this week, the thing that she understands in the story is that Jesus wept. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that is leading up to that, it's not just, I don't know, as somebody who gets uh, into situations where you, you, you either regret not doing something or you, you know, you've made a mistake and you got to contend with it, or there's all these different people's emotions attached to something. There's all this other stuff that leads up to the anger and the frustration of Jesus, all the accusations, all the people that have opinions about it, whether they're, they're the disciples and saying, you're not going back there. They just, you know, they just tried to kill you there or whatever. Uh, all the, so it's like, there's all these factors into the decision to go or not go and the timing of everything. And yeah, it is really clear why, he wept and it's not just because simply his friend Lazarus is dead. It's because like the whole scene leading up to it has, has led to that moment. Like finally some kind of a release. Yeah. And it, and it legitimizes the emotion as part of the experience, Mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, faith, faith has nothing to do with leaving emotion behind and like overcoming it and, and, you know, my faith is stronger. And so my, uh, you know, my sorrow or my grieving or, 
you know, or whatever the tears were attached to, um, it's faith doesn't negate the real presence and this, not even just the real presence, but the needed presence of, of those tears in this moment. Because like, it's interesting to me, you know, Jesus of course has done a lot of things up until this point, you know, whether it's encountering the blind man, you know, and these other miraculous encounters, but I guess you could probably arguably say that this story requires the most faith so far, you know, sure. um, if you, I mean, if you want to put it that way, but yet this is the place where we see the most emotion from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like they're both, they're both present in, in this story. Um, but it's not a crippling emotion. It's, it's an emotion that leads toward a life producing action. Yeah. He's still with a loud voice tells Lazarus to come out. Yeah. I, I, I know. So I don't know if you've ever heard this, but so Jordan Peterson talks about, um, and about, like the emotion and stuff being present within certain grieving situations. And it's like, it's a harsh way to say it, but, but I, I, I like it a lot because what he says is to seek to become a person that can be counted on in, even in the midst of your own parents' funeral. And it sounds harsh to put it that way, but it's like, and he, and he doesn't mean don't, he doesn't mean don't be vulnerable, don't show emotion, don't be a person that needs to lean on other people. None of that is what, you know, all of that's going to be present in that moment. That's a moment when you are going to be nearly overwhelmed with, with emotions, but that let those emotions be a thing that inspires toward strength, inspire toward life producing action. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing Jesus here. I mean, I know we can't just maybe, you know, tell a dead person to come out of the grave, but metaphorically out of this emotion comes life producing action. Yes. Like letting, letting emotion and, you know, vulnerability and all of that have its place and then allowing that to be fuel for something like being able to come out of that and into something that's productive and not just because there is like the kind of grief that produces nothing or whatever. Like, uh, what's, what's Thessalonians say something like we're not those, we don't grieve like those who have no hope or something like that. Like, yeah, right. And it, it doesn't stop by just saying we're, we don't grieve. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And letting it letting it go into a place that's uh generative or that that brings about something. I like that. Yeah, and it is because it, it's it's part of it, you know, and and it's it's part of it in different ways for different people. Um you know, look what Martha and Mary were were grieving very differently in this story. Um both in, in very nuanced ways. Both were angry, both were hurt, um, both were throwing accusations at Jesus, mm-hmm. um, but but also, you know, glad that he was now there. I mean, it was just, it was a whirlwind, it was a mess, 
and and Jesus legitimizes all of it. Yeah, everything everything fits in the story. Like, I not to not to draw too clear of a line or whatever, but like, it's obvious. It's obvious to me that there's a reason that we're reading this text when we are. Like, it's fitting for what's happening in the world right now. Like, there are so many different angles. There are so many factors. There's there's so many layers to what's happening in the world, and almost like kind of the, the, the details of this story. They're just, there's so many things that are going into what we're experiencing right now. And so, yes, uh, Jesus wept is a full sentence, you know, like there's a period at the end of it. And that's, we can, we can let that be a, a, a place that we sit for a while. You know, yes, there's things that come on the other side of it, but at first it's just, it's just weeping. So like for me, at least, who's not someone who's uh, readily emotes or like wants to get into that space. It is a, it is a challenge to me to say like that's included in the life of faith is just simply letting your emotions have a place. And um, uh, I don't know. I just think that it's fitting for where we're at. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even as both Mary and Martha's emotions changed, in, you know, the matter of a few verses, it's like, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I, if I, you know, pull up a news feed or something like that, whatever that top headline is, it sets the tone for me. So like, you know, in the matter of, you know, if I would look three times during the day, um, if the, if the leading headline has something to do with the, the containment and the, you know, that, many people are surviving this virus or something like that. I, I automatically get into a space of uh, just better emotionally, uh-huh. you know? And so each day is probably, uh, you know, a roller coaster of all of, of all of it, you know? It absolutely is. And, and depending on what you're reading is different, you know, there's, Oh, one day you read, there's no new cases in this place and it's starting to slow down. And then the next day it's like, Oh, this will be here in 2022 and the hospitals are overrun. It's like whoever, depending on who's telling the story is a a totally different place to be at mentally. And I, I have felt like we talked, uh, I talked to Thomas Floyd, um, earlier this week on Instagram and, you know, he's a therapist. So he's talking about like all the mental health implications of this. And he said, maybe not clinical anxiety, but everyone right now is going through some low level, like there's a low hum of anxiety that's happening right now for every person. Like we are all in this mess and it's coming out in weird ways. Like I, uh, I noticed that like I watched, uh, I watched a comedy special and like, first or second joke, I'm genuinely in tears over it. And I was like, oh, that's probably, <laughs> that's probably because I needed that real bad. Right. Uh, like I, I'm, I'm more sensitive, I think. And I think all of us are. Um, and it, paying attention to, to what you're feeling and paying attention to the, the emotions that are coming up and being like an objective observer of your own life is, I think it's an important thing for us right now and something that we have a green light to do. You know, it's not faithless to say I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm whatever. Absolutely. 
Um, and that's, and, and it's not going away. Like the, the virus will go away, but this experience remains part of the, the, what the, the fabric of, of who we are because it's deeply ingrained into what we've experienced. Like, for example, life for Mary and Martha, like, yeah, Lazarus rose from the dead and he was present, but life was never the same for them again. Like they experienced that real grief and that real sorrow. And it's almost like a loss of innocence to some degree. Like Lazarus, Lazarus walking out of the grave doesn't take away everything that happened in that. Like no, they still no, and, limp away from that experience, knowing that they'll have to face it again. Because Lazarus did die, right? And you know, it's almost like if a if a child experienced the death of a pet, they know they they're excited about getting the new pet, but they also lost the the sense of innocence and bring that into this new relationship with the pet that that will be a thing they experience again together or to make it like even more true and, and exponentially up is, you know, when we, so Chelsea's due in less than two weeks and, uh, or right at two weeks, whatever, but she'd go anytime. So we're, we've been talking a lot about, uh, and it's right at the exact same time. So Zeke was born the 26th of March. So we're right in that phase. So all, all we're seeing on our Facebook memories and all that stuff is Zeke's birth stuff. So when he was born and almost died and was in the NICU for all that time or whatever, him recovering from that and coming out on the other end and you know being very much alive and well, and especially the timing of it, because that year four years ago, it was, uh, it was Easter. So he was, I think he was born on Good Friday, um, did not know if he was going to make it all the way through Saturday. And then I think Sunday of Easter is the first time the doctors told us um, that he was going to make it. But on the other side of that, even when, when we bring him home and years later, like Chelsea and I are not okay from that still, you know, like right. it knowing extremely viscerally, you know, the mortality, uh, of your kid from the first moment they come out of the womb, uh, it, it changes the way you think about things. Like it's not a, it's not that we can't receive Zeke with joy and as a gift and all of that, because all of that's present even more so because we saw that it was, uh, there was a possibility of it not being the case, but on the other side of it, there is definitely a limp. Well, it's, it's, you can't, it's one of, it's almost like, well, one, it, it's the thing that became the defining thing to your relationship with Zeke. I mean, it's, 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 it started, it's what laid that foundation. And it, it was, how do you, what it did was almost present the ability to enjoy it more because you experienced the fragility initially. Yep. And so it's a, it's a double edged sword. It's like you, you couldn't just ride that fine, uh, that line, that mundane, um, line because you, you already began by tasting 
the far left of that spectrum, which created an enormous struggle. But the gift that it did provide was also the ability then to experience the other side of that to be a little bit more present experience. So the joys are a little bit heightened. If the sorrows are heightened, then the joys can be heightened. A million percent. Yeah. The, the, the shallow innocence of, you know, this, this baby is brought into the world and nothing will ever happen to it, um, was shattered right away. And so it, yes, I think, I think that's a really good way of putting it. The, if if sorrows if the sorrow is deepened then the joy can be heightened or whatever like it 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 definitely pulls in both directions um but like you said going going out of this uh situation that we're in right now i was thinking about this today like at what point are we going to be able to hug people again <laughs> like, right like at, at what point can i have like a handshake with a stranger that like lets me in a door somewhere. And how, how will this change the fabric of society? Like, are we going to, are we going to be a society now for the next several years or indefinitely that walks around with masks that cover our face when we're out in public and that has to view strangers suspiciously because of the virus, you know? Yeah. I, I guess all we can do is is see how it unfolds but the 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 truth is it won't return to normal or what we know as normal yeah and and kind of going to your point like as sorrows deepen that 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 joys are able to be heightened i i read some article that was like there's this there's this prevailing thought that that if you know if all of this stuff is happening, that that society is going to devolve and it, people are going to be, you know, rioting and looting and, and humanity is going to go to the lowest rung on the ladder or whatever. But the, the, the guy basically said that the data does not show that at all. Like, actually, humanity steps up in situations like this and, like, comes together in new ways. And so, yes, we won't be the same on the other side of this, but what are the new ways of being that society is going to exist you know, as or whatever, like how, how is this going to change us in a way that's good? Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing that, that really jumped out to me in, in this story this week was again, kind of back to the, the whole central idea of Jesus wept. Um, is it just, it, to me in, in weeping, Jesus it sounds simple, but he legitimizes life. Like we cling to this and that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. like, like, you know, even in the midst of all this talk of, you know, resurrection, heaven, Jesus being divine miracles, you know, like all of it, e even with that being extremely, both spiritually and mentally present within Jesus, these part of me thinks that these tears just simply legitimizes the meaning that is found in the way in which life is expressed in this form. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we have this strange, strange juxta juxtaposition, you know, of, 
of death is part of this. Like it's, and it's always been, it's part of this, whether it's, you know, the creation of soil through decomposition, whether it's, you know, uh, the death of, of whether a plant or animal life as a way to uh, nourish and sustain other life. I mean, you know, we know that we're in the midst of this, this thing that is just full of both death and life. It's part of it. I mean, and even if the reality of a better experience in the afterlife is true, it doesn't negate the fact that we should mourn the loss of this present form. And so the presence of grief and mourning legitimizes the meaning and the value of that form. Does that make sense? Say it, say it in a different way. So... And so basically, if if life or the loss or if the losses that we experience in this life, this present reality that we know, if, if those losses didn't lead to mourning or lead to grieving, then like what good were they? They, they didn't contain meaning. They didn't contain value. Yes, it shows, um, they, it shows the meaning of what is it. It. it it is something worth grieving over. It is. Like I can't imagine experiencing a life that didn't see the good and the true and the beauty in something so much that I did grieve the loss of it. Yes. And so when people say things like, you know, he's in a better place or they're in a better place, it's like, well, even if that's true – the loss that I'm experiencing now, Jesus legitimized or, or validates, I should say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're at a funeral, Carol. Like, just let us, let us cry for a little bit. Right. And it's, and it's not, and it doesn't speak to a lack of faith or a weakness. It, it speaks to, it speaks to the value of this experience. I, and I know I've kind of just said that same thing in a couple of different ways, but I, I, I just think it's so important and true. Like Mary and Martha, we don't know a lot about their, you know, well, we know more about them than others, but like, there's still a lot we don't know. Like there's a reason that these sisters are living together with their brother. Like, where are the parents? Like, um, you know, something may probably happen there, but yet Lazarus has a, like a tomb of a wealthy man, you know? So there's, they have this estate that these women, Martha has, has come to be in control of, like probably the head of the household, mm -hmm. you know, we don't know. And, and maybe she was forced there. Like how long has Lazarus been sick? You know, like, um, did they take an economic hit in that time? Uh, you know, all of, all of these things, like all of these things are present in their life. And, and yet Jesus says yes to all of them by weeping, by, by like even grieving the loss of, of maybe the things that weren't to be necessarily celebrated, but that were just simply part of the human experience, like the loss of that creates a grieving and that grieving though does not negate the belief that there is something better yet to be experienced. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I was talking to David uh, yesterday or the day before. He's writing his book right now, and the we were talking about the place that lament has, and like it is it is such a necessary thing and it's it's like that conversation uh that we had with Walter Brueggemann a few years ago when we said how you know it was about the injustice in Charlotte and the racial divide and all that kind of stuff and how do we how do we respond to this as a as a church or how do we respond to this as pastors whatever and you know the very first thing he said was just lament like that's that is a that is a a legitimate uh action in response to this, these things. And so we look at the world right now and yes, we want to be like, you know, Fred Rogers, look for the helpers, find the, the thread of joy and find the, the, the bright spots and things that we can look to as like, I don't know, things that bring us up or whatever, but ultimately like just looking at what has been lost and what will be lost in the future and the trajectory that this thing is on and giving full voice to that in lament, I think is important. It is. I, you know, it's yet to be determined how close I will personally be affected by, Mm -hmm. you know, the virus, but I, I was listening to someone talk the other day about, well, you know, what the front lines are like for the people in the medical world. And I, you know, I, I wept, I cried. Like, I can't, I can't imagine it is. Um, Yeah. And in first world nations, like in wealthy uh, places that you don't normally hear these kinds of horrifying medical stories about. And, you know, I've got a friend whose wife is working on uh, the, viruses unit in her hospital and she's a nurse and um you know they don't have enough supplies they don't have enough masks and 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 are are forcing people to be on the front line of this thing and ill-equipped and the things that they're seeing and the kinds of deaths and the the pain of what's happening and the you know all the visceral nature of it people i mean it's people gasping for air it's people that are it, it is a violent not good death and so to not look into that and have human emotion and to just think, my God, like that, that would be, that would be less than human. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. It's everyone, everyone is affected. Um, when, you know, when one part is suffering, um, it's that Frederick Beekner quote that I post all the time with, when tragedy hits in the world, it's that uh, humanity is like a giant spider web so that if you touch it anywhere, it sets the whole thing trembling. And then he quotes the no man is an island poem and like we uh, entirely unto himself or whatever. No, we, we are, we are not isolated beings. Like we, we are all connected somehow. And so what is affecting people in Italy or Spain or Iran or China or wherever, like it, it is affecting us, whether you are uh, acknowledging it or not, it is affecting us, all of us. Sure. And, you know, and of course, you know, like a lot of, for a lot of people, the initial thought is like, okay, you know, my immediate family or my immediate circle, we're not experiencing this. Uh, We're okay. 
you know, financially, you know, like all of this kind of stuff. But then it's like, well, then get outside of that, you For know, sure. and and tap into the the collective um, grieving that that's going on. Um, and I know it's and I know it's the easy, you know, pastoral leap here in the, you know, to the into this cliche. But it's like the never before, like in this story you know, what, what, what changed the direction of the story? And it's the, it's the Christ presence Mm -hmm. in that, you know, and, um, it's needed and it's necessary. And it's, it's how do we be the Christ presence then in, in the way, in the moments that, that we are encountering in this. Um, and that's different for, for everyone, you know, I'm not, in the hospitals, you know, but what does it mean for me to be the carrier of the, of the spirit of Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Out of, out of our mourning, out of our collective mourning and grief and lament and whatever we, to, to go back to where we started this, we do have to let it take us into places of compassion and bringing goodness in the world. And there's this guy in, in Michigan that's a pastor. His name's Ken Tanner. I don't, I don't think you know him, um, but he posted last night. He says, uh, the first Christians show us that the greater miracle is not the healing of the sick, but staying and caring for the sick and suffering even when they do not recover, staying with the dying as they die. Compassion is what overcomes the world and leads to resurrection. And, you know, uh, I, I saw some some guy that's pretty adversarial towards faith or whatever. Uh, he posted something like, all right, all, all the faith healers, here's your chance. You know, like it's your time to shine basically. And like that, that kind of thing is not helpful. But the the truth of this is that a lot of people are not going to recover. A lot of people are going to die. And there, there is a, there is a call for all of us to, to somehow, be with people in their suffering and to sit with people and to not, even when you can't fix anything and to just be the Christ presence, be, uh, you know, carry the spirit with us into those places of hurting and darkness and pain and grief and all of those human things. And to bring Christ, bring Christ's compassion to those people. Yeah. And that doesn't, you know, and to say that is not, taking away from you know the ability of of a god to intervene into situations you know yeah god it, raises the it, dead i mean that's that's it, what this story is so it, it right and god also weeps in this story so exactly yes exactly both things. like right jesus doesn't you know show up in a limousine saying you know how could you have such little faith how could you even you know reduce yourself to someone who is, is grieving and mourning. Don't you know that I'm God or, you know, it's, he pulls up, pulls up in a limo and CSI Miami style takes a pair of sunglasses off. (laughs) Let me find him. See, I, they probably do have a CSI Nazareth. What's that? (laughs) What's that stupid, that stupid. I will, I, if I can find the sound, I will include it in this podcast. There's this like initial, in every beginning of every CSI. I will find that sound. I promise.
but but Jesus, he you know, he legitimizes all of it. He he with this like the the ability for God to break into the world in in very strange, unique ways, but yet um, also everything else that we have previously talked about. And it's it's not it's not a false dichotomy, you know. Of course, we don't we we settle in like like the quote that you talked about this you know ken tan or whatever right it's to to do that isn't to leave your faith behind Mm -hmm. and say well god can't i guess we will it's to participate in the way in which god is constantly present in and amongst the suffering yeah well i i think i think we're at a good stopping point um i just want to pray for all of our people. That's one of the weirdest parts about this whole thing is not being able to like be physically together in a room. Um, I was telling Thomas on that Instagram live thing yesterday, he was asking how, how this changes the way that, uh, like I pastor or whatever, how, how has this affected the church? And, um, you know, in so many ways, we're all still in relationship with one another. We're all still checking in. Uh, I've gotten three or four texts during this from, people in the church that we're just talking about random stuff um, that all of that's still there. We're still finding ways to like help in this. We're still trying to like be the church together, but not physically being in a room. And, you know, like I said earlier, we're not hugging each other. We're not uh, coming to a table together and, you know, eating the bread and drinking the wine and all that stuff. So that, that part of it is a really felt loss. And then also just not being able to, um, so it's a weird, strange thing, but not being able to pray over uh, our people. I think that's like a thing that I feel um, I feel the weight of every time I do. But um, in our own strange way or whatever, this is, um, this is that. I just can't see everyone. But I do want to pray over us. And um, yeah, I love everybody. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that your presence is uh, with us and in us. It's working through us. Lord, we yield to you. Um, we want to have your compassion in the world, Lord. We want to um, take in and experience all that is. We want to uh, not close our eyes to it, not shut our ears to the pain of the world. But we also know uh, that we don't want to be overwhelmed and we don't want to uh, lean into unhealthy levels of anxiety over things. So, Lord, help us to find the balance of looking at what is, but also... Um, giving ourselves the ability to see the beauty that still exists in the world and to experience goodness where it, where it can be found. So Lord, I, I pray that you would um, help us to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn and to celebrate with those who are celebrating and all of that, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray over Neighborhood Church and all the people that are in it and all the folks that are listening that may not be a part of it. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit Fill us with the fullness of your spirit, God. Help us to be the people of God on mission in the world. Help us to embody compassion and goodness and all the fruit of the spirit, Lord. Um, And we love you so much. And we pray uh, in a really new um, kind of way, like like a new intensity, Lord. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'm going to read Psalm 130. Do it. All right. Psalm 130. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I cry for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord. More than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Amen.